Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. So this week we're going to talk about intuitive eating. We're going to talk a bit about what it is and what it isn't and intuitive eating in recovery. Is that a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Who is intuitive eating for? Who is it not for? And also a little bit about how diet culture has kind of co-opted this term which has led to a lot of misunderstandings. So first of all, what is intuitive eating? So one thing that is very important to kind of get ahead is that (laughs) words are used differently by different people. So my definition of intuitive eating might differ from someone else's. If you talk to like a diet weight loss coach who does intuitive eating, because yeah, unfortunately that is the paradox is that that exists because the term has been co-opted, which I'll talk more about later, then they will have a completely different description of intuitive eating than I have. My description of intuitive eating is probably more towards just free eating. So what does that mean? Let me get to it. Intuitive eating, the way I use it, or free eating, is essentially eating when you want, whatever you want, and then, you know, stopping when you don't want it anymore. And that seems like such an easy concept, but when you are in recovery from an eating disorder, that can be quite complicated. First of all, you might have early fullness. And second of all, like eating when you don't feel like eating anymore, anything more, then, you know, the eating disorder might jump in there and make that decision for you, right? And you might confuse anxiety with fullness, or you might confuse early fullness because, you know, delayed gastric emptying. You might confuse that with, oh, I don't need any more food right now. And this is why in recovery, I tend to say that Intuitive eating isn't always the best solution. If you are someone who has actual, you have a solid amount of hunger in recovery, or maybe you're going through extreme hunger, then yeah, intuitive eating can really work for you. But for some people in recovery, intuitive eating may not take them to a sufficient amount due to certain physical and mental reasons. Intuitive eating is basically how you see, you know, most people who have no eating disorder or no disordered eating eat, right? Who are not engaged in diet culture in any way. It's also more similar to how you see small children eat, right? Or how most animals eat. And of course there are exceptions here, but just like as a general, (laughs) as a general one, right? Intuitive eating means that you're hungry, you go get some food and then you eat and then you're not hungry anymore and you move on with your day. And you know, with an eating disorder, that might seem like an absolutely impossible feat. It's like, wait, what? But here is the catch with intuitive eating where I disagree with a lot of people in the field of, you know, nutrition. And that is that I think that intuitive eating, it shouldn't be too hyper-focused on your bodily sensations. Meaning that I don't really think it is healthy to sit there at the dinner table and really hyper-focus on how you feel like, oh, am I full? Like, what should I do? That is not really healthy and it's not what people without eating disorders do either. Fullness can occur in many different ways, you know. We might, especially in recovery, it's very common to experience physical fullness before mental fullness or vice versa. So the way I work with intuitive eating is kind of, it's a way to eat that enables a lot of freedom around food and a way to eat that doesn't hyper-focus on eating. So just an example where I and maybe some people within the field of intuitive eating, especially if there is someone who, in the, who are in the field of intuitive eating that are more like on the diet culture side, you know, they're like intuitive weight loss, which is complete bollocks, I think, and not something I work with. But for instance, I would say to, for instance, if I work with a client, 
I would say intuitive eating. That means maybe you are you wake up in the morning, you're in a rush, and you just need to grab something quickly before you your work starts or your class starts. You just grab something. Didn't really think too much. Oh, what do I really crave? Or like, am I hungry? What is my hunger level from one to ten? You don't go through all of these like mental uh, mental gymnastics. You just grab something because that's life, and you have other things to do and think about. And I think some people, when they're practicing intuitive eating, they're really hyper focus on food and fullness, and instead they're like, wait oh my God, am I really craving, you know, that, that, you know, baguette or that, you know, snack? Am I really craving it? And then that really start hyper-focusing on the bodily cues. I just don't really see this as a healthy, productive way to live. And you don't see this in people without eating disorders who never had any disordered eating in their life. Another example is intuitive eating, the way that I see it, you know, free eating, free intuitive eating would also include maybe you go to the cinema and you just get some popcorn, even though you're not that physically hungry, just because that is the social setting, right? Or maybe you have a Christmas dinner and everyone is, realistically, at Christmas dinner, most people eat a little bit beyond the point of fullness, right? You don't sit there hyper-focusing like, oh my god, am I eating too much? Am I overeating? What's going on? You just kind of go with it. And yeah, so this is where I kind of disagree with some, I guess, practitioners of intuitive eating who would probably advocate more for, okay, when you go to the Christmas dinner, really hyper-focus on your stomach and like count, like how, what is your hunger level from one to 10? All of these things, which I just think reinforces the eating disorder. And here's the thing, the underlying message amongst those who practice intuitive eating in this way where you really need to like hyper-focus on your hunger is that hunger is something bad and dangerous that needs to be controlled, right? And that is not productive to eating disorder recovery. You might think if you don't do this, then you're just going to eat all the time. You're going to go crazy. You're just going to stuff yourself all the time. No, <laughs> you won't. In the beginning, yeah, you might. You know, extreme hunger is a real thing. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, relearning how to eat and following your hunger cues, all of that, it can get a bit messy before it gets tidy, right? Just like when you're tidying up your room, you know, you don't, you just don't wake up and boom, all sorted, right? It is a journey. And I think the only way to relearn intuitive eating after an eating disorder is to kind of jump into it a bit. And that will include, at times, eating to beyond the point of fullness. And I have not seen someone successfully recovering with intuitive eating by hyper-focusing on their hunger and like really overanalyzing. I've seen a lot of people becoming very anxious around food and by doing that, you know. Because like I said earlier, when you are in recovery from eating disorder, when you have or have had an eating disorder recently, then your hunger might manifest in different ways compared to someone who don't have an eating disorder. So as I mentioned, you might feel physically full, but your hunger cues are more mental. And the physical fullness might feel quite like, oh my god, I'm stuffed. And there are a few reasons for that. So first of all, you might confuse just having food in your stomach <laughs> with fullness. That's not fullness. That is having food in your stomach, which is uh, how our bodies work, <laughs> right? But then again, you also have the, as I mentioned, that <clears throat> there is a delay in the stomach emptying, right? Delay gastric emptying, which can make the food stay around for a little bit longer because your digestive system is quite, it's quite, it's been running a very low in energy, right? And it needs a lot of energy to repair itself. And that doesn't happen overnight. So things might run a bit slowly and food might stay around, hang out a bit longer in your body. That is also doesn't mean that you don't need to eat. Actually, it means the opposite. It means that you need to eat quite a lot because you need to give your digestive system energy to repair. And if you don't do that, oof, your digestion is not really going to be good. 
Then you also have the, you know, anxiety and the mental part of, oh my God, I'm full. I shouldn't eat more. And you can confuse that with reality, right? Anxiety can be pretty damn convincing at times. And also, as I said quite a few times, uh, in people with eating disorders, especially those who, you know, go for recovery and go quite all in and increase their intake, there tends to be a normalization of certain hormones that regulate, you know, hunger and body weight a little bit too soon, which is why a lot of people in recovery need to force feed themselves and eat beyond the point of hunger to fully recover. Those were just some reasons. There is a lot more, uh, but you know, this is a limited time podcast and there's a lot to cover on this topic. So yeah, who is intuitive eating for and who is it not for? As I mentioned, if you are someone who is in recovery and you're already struggling with your hunger cues, then intuitive eating might not be the best idea. Instead, having an approach where you have more like mechanical eating and actually just eat even though you're not hungry, it's probably what's going to save you. I see so many people stuck in recovery because the thought of eating even though they're not hungry mentally or physically just makes them like it makes them like paralyzed makes them stop them from doing anything and some of the biggest breakthroughs i've had with my clients is when they eat more than they feel like because they know they need it for recovery that's when the magic happens and you need to do this not just one time not just when extreme hunger hit on a saturday night you need to keep doing it so yeah if hunger is low you're in earlier phases of recovery where you know it's important to you know refeed maybe restore some weight all of these things then it's quite important to instead focus on getting the food in right intuitive eating is something you can do but you should wait until you are fully renourished and you have reliable hunger cues that take you to an adequate amount of food on the other hand if you are someone who in recovery have gotten your hunger cues back and you experience extreme hunger then you know you can kind of just go for it because if you are experiencing extreme hunger and also very importantly if you are experiencing extreme hunger but you're not restricting in between because this is a key one right some people are like oh i'm intuitively eating in recovery because i have extreme hunger but then what actually happens is that they're just saving up all the calories for night and then they eat everything at night and then they starve themselves the next day but they might not feel that hungry because you know they ate so much the night before and then they're like oh this is intuitive eating or this is intermittent fasting or god knows what else it can be called don't end up in that trap not because there's anything wrong with eating at night or eating a lot at night that's completely fine just make sure you're also eating throughout the day so when it comes to recovering and intuitive eating what i'm basically trying to get forward is that the danger isn't oh my god am i eating too much it's more oh my god am i eating too little right Imagine if we did this with water, right? Like intuitive water drinking and you got a bottle of water and you had to like very, be very careful that you didn't drink too much and you need to really, you know, feel how does it feel in the body or like, oh, I mean, would that really help you though? No, it's better to just drink the water and trust that your body knows what it's doing. And yes, some days you will chug that water because you're so dehydrated and other days you'll just sip a bit that's fine that's how it works but you still need water every single day and same goes with sleep right same goes with so much else we don't have fear mongering around like oh accidentally sleeping too much at least not in a mainstream way or accidentally drinking too much water right but we have a lot of fear mongering around you know oh intuitive eating is a tool to prevent you from eating too much and that's not the tool that you should use when you are in eating disorder recovery or ever because it's just diet culture repackaged and it is so sneaky how diet culture constantly rebrands itself and repackages terms to make it seem like oh it's not really dieting 
Because I've seen this sometimes in people who are recovering from, for instance, bulimia, right? They're being told to try like mindful eating where they're sitting there eating like a nut or something and they have to chew it really slowly and feel everything, you know? And again, I'm not saying this is always a bad thing because I'm very into, you know, mindfulness and like being in the moment being really like what's going on around me like I like you know taking some time like looking at plants and all of these things that's nice but if the underlying message is oh you need to be careful so you don't eat too much of these nuts let's eat as slowly as possible to prevent you from overeating then that's not really going to help because it's still fear-mongering around hunger when actually what you need is probably to just eat that whole bag of nuts <laughs> and then refeed yourself. And then when you have go through a period of where you feel like eating a whole bag of nuts in five seconds, they're eventually going to come to a point where you are able to just snack on that package of nuts because your body is no longer in starvation mode where it needs you to eat everything right away. And then you might have days where you just feel like eating the whole package and that's fine as well. That also happens, right? So yeah, let's go back a little bit to what I said in the beginning. Like, is eating always intuitive? And my response is that no, sometimes we just eat because, you know, we're in a rush because that is what the social setting, um, you know, expects from us. And that's completely fine. And if you feel really anxious about that, I invite you to kind of look at what is the underlying fear here. Is it a fear of food? Is it a fear of, you know, wasting calories? Because this is something I see a lot with people eating disorders or even people who are recovering there's that fear that they are wasting calories because they can only eat when it is like optimally enjoyable and needs to be perfect, right? This is the eating disorder speaking, the eating disorder perfectionism sneaking into recovery. You know, yesterday I was in a rush to get to university and do a class in biological psychology and cognition. Uh, so I, and I, I, I can sometimes be very bad with time, right? And I was in such a rush and I literally just ate my breakfast as quickly as I could humanly chew it, right? I didn't even taste that breakfast. I was just, I was just getting it in because I knew that I needed food and fuel to be in that class. I wasn't really that hungry, but I just needed to get it in, you know? And that's part of recovery. And then later, um, me and my classmate went to the cafeteria and we had this like cheesy pasta thing that looked really good. But when we had it, it was actually really gross. <laughs> but I still ate it, even though it wasn't that good, because I knew that I needed fuel for the class, right? And I was just like, oh, I have food here, might as well just eat it, right? Can you see how if I were to really hyper-focus on eating being intuitive, I might have had gotten a lot of anxiety in these situations and how that wouldn't be healthy? For instance, for my breakfast, I might have been like, oh my God, what is this? No, 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 I'm doing it. I'm eating the wrong way, right? I need to really take my time. And then I would have shown up late for class or I would have eaten half of my breakfast and ended up really hungry in the middle of class. Or, you know, with that pasta that was not as good <laughs> as it looked on the picture, <laughs> catfish by pasta. Uh, imagine if I had instead just been like, okay, then I'm just not going to eat it and just show up hungry to class. That is not intuitive eating. Even though it wasn't the best pasta of my life, I just ate it. And of course, in that situation, I could have also gone and just queue and get another meal, right? But I simply didn't have time to do that. So I ate that mushy pasta so I could have energy in class. And this is what people without eating disorders do all the time. Because hyper-focus on eating, eating perfectionism, these are tools of the eating disorder. And they will try and convince you that this is just the way to eat. This is the right way but it's not. And you know, I talk a lot about extreme hunger and binging. These are, you know, as probably you know by now, like 
one of my favorite topics when it comes to recovery and kind of like my, I guess, my little niche and specialty, if I may say. <laughs> and I think if you are misunderstanding intuitive eating when you are going through a phase of extreme hunger, it might make you feel like you are doing something wrong for giving into your extreme hunger when that is exactly what you need to do. Because when you are going through extreme hunger and you're feeling maybe you even might be so full and sick but you still just feel the mental drive to eat in my opinion that isn't true to eating because you have a drive to eat right not necessarily hunger but a drive to eat and very often when i talk to people eating disorders and they're like oh i'm not hungry then i say yeah but do you have a drive to eat and they might be like yeah i do think about food all the time i obsess about food i look at pictures of food i think about my next meal and la 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 that's a drive to eat. That is a food focus. That's a way for your body to try and be like, hey, food, we need food. Gravitate towards food, right? So if you are in recovery and you are going through extreme hunger and you're just eating everything inside and you're like, oh my God, I'm doing intuitive eating wrong. You know, I'm eating even though I'm not hungry and blah, 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 blah. You're not doing anything wrong. You're literally experiencing the most normal part of recovery ever. And here's the thing. It will normalize with time. I see this over and over and over and over. People start their, you know, free eating and true to eating process, experience extreme hunger, feel like they're doing something wrong, but they keep pushing. And then eventually they're like, oh, my eating is starting to normalize. My cravings are starting to change. You know, I'm happy just grabbing something on the go and focusing on other things. And then I get hungry again and then I eat. It will regulate. But it won't regulate if you're hyper-focusing on, oh my god, how can I eat as little as possible whilst still recovering? You need to let go of the, you know, maximum mindset and instead see your, you know, your needs for food and recovery as a minimum rather than a maximum. Because if you, for instance, imagine you are eating, you know, maybe you've given a 3,000 calorie meal plan, 3,500 example, right? That is a minimum, is not a maximum. So general conclusion is intuitive eating is a great thing. It should, of course, be a goal in recovery. But for some people, it might not be the best thing in early recovery because it doesn't take them to the amount of food they need or they might have their, you know, mental parts of the eating disorder coming in and being like, hey, <laughs> let's make this really difficult. And intuitive eating has also been very co-opted by diet culture, which makes a lot of people confused or make a lot of people feel like they're doing it wrong. But intuitive eating, you know, it's supposed to be done a little bit imperfectly and messy because eating is not supposed to be perfect. Eating is supposed to be a bit messy at times, right? That's just how it is. That is how it is. Intuitive eating when you're going through extreme hunger might make you feel like, oh my God, I'm not doing intuitive eating the right way because I'm eating even though I'm not hungry. When actually what you are doing is that you are doing intuitive eating because your intuition is clearly telling you to eat. That's why you're eating, right? In a future episode, I'm going to talk a bit more about how to move from a meal plan and calorie counting into intuitive eating, because this is a topic that's been requested quite a bit. But I first just wanted to talk a bit about what is intuitive eating and how does it work? What is it? What isn't it? Because I think that are a lot of misunderstandings. And I may think maybe if you are someone in recovery who's trying to you know eat intuitively and feel like you're doing it the wrong way because maybe you're experiencing extreme hunger, then now you know. And also if you're someone in recovery who's trying to intuitively 
eat in recovery, but you don't, you know, realistically that your intuitive eating is not really taking you to sufficient amount. And then you're like, well, I'm not moving forward in recovery. Like maybe this is just how, how, how recovery is. And you're just completely stuck. I want to tell you that maybe intuitive eating is something that you should consider doing a little bit later in recovery and instead focusing on, you know, more structural mechanical eating and actually just getting in the calories, even though you don't feel like it. And I also think that eating, despite not being hungry, is actually a crucial part of recovery. And I see this as a big fear of a lot of people. You know, for instance, when I have clients, a lot of things that they're fine eating as long as they actually feel like it. But as long as they are, you know, maybe not that mentally, physically hungry, it feels like some kind of waste and almost like a crime to eat, right? We want to do everything that feels wrong until it feels right. So that means that if you have a paralyzing fear of eating, even though you're not hungry, then (laughs) do it, do it get comfortable with the uncomfortable and I may have mentioned this before or maybe not I can't quite remember what I've said and what I haven't said but you know if I now go eat something even though I'm not hungry I'm just going to be like okay (laughs) fine in the same way that if I drink water even though I'm not thirsty it's just like okay not exactly what my body told me to do but I'm not going to feel a crippling guilt for wasting calories right so if you feel that chances are you actually need to get comfortable with eating even though you might not necessarily feel like it. And oh my God, in my recovery, the amount of food I needed to eat that I didn't feel like eating, but that's what made my recovery. If I were to intuitively eat in my own recovery, I would not have recovered because my intuitive eating did not take me to a sufficient amount to fully recover. And my colleague, Danny, Danny Van Kay, Danielle Van Kay on Instagram did an amazing post about justice, you know, about how mindless eating in recovery can actually be better than, you know, mindful eating. And the way she explained it is that in recovery, when you know, when you have an eating disorder, you are already hyper aware of food and eating. So it doesn't make sense to intensify that by applying mindful eating. And I thought that was so well said. And she also says that it is not normal to hyper-analyze every meal and to question yourself whether you're full or not. And she says that she actually advocates to bring on distractions during a meal because it can lower anxiety. And you know, I think that's completely fine. I think if you're in recovery, you don't have to sit there, you know, in complete dead silence and hyper-focus on the food. It's okay to just put on something on the TV, get comfortable, relax, eat in bed, you know, do whatever makes it feel comfortable for you. And then with time, you will notice that you get more comfortable around it. So perhaps that this like hunger fullness scale, hyper-focusing, measuring your hunger with from one to 10, I don't really see this as a good thing to do in recovery. Like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Maybe that works for some, but just in my experience with working with people with eating disorders, it seems not to really work that well. Okay, guys, and now to today's listener question. So on my recovery Instagram, which is letsrecover.co.uk, for those of you who may not already know, I actually put up a little question box where I was like, hey, if you guys have any questions, I'm mass recording some podcast episodes, so get it out there, right? And I got a lot of really, really good questions and also topic suggestions. I just want to know that because previously I said, oh, email me if you have any like questions or, you know, topic suggestions but I do know that it can sometimes be a lot easier to just slide into my dms or you know reply when I already have initiated through like a question sticker right the only thing I will have to say is that unfortunately and I know most of you know this already but unfortunately when you are dming me recovery questions on instagram I'm unfortunately not able to give you like an in-depth answer 
And this is not because I don't care, because I really do care, but it simply is because I already am doing this as a job. I already have clients, I already have so much to do, and it simply is not possible for me to answer every single question, every single recovery question that I get in my DMs. Because if I were to do that, that would have been my full-time job. So I'm just saying this because I don't want any of you to feel ignored. And again, if it was just a few questions, it would have been fine. I could just done it, but we're talking a lot of questions. It simply is not possible for me to answer. I know most of you know that. I know most of you respect that. But just if you're coming with a question in the DMs, make it like a podcast suggestion rather than a DM for me to answer one-on-one, right? Unless, of course, you are a client because that is a completely different situation. That is like a different role. And oh yeah, another quick note. As in when it comes to clients, I do have a wait list right now. Uh, so I'm unfortunately unable to take on new clients right at the moment. But if you are interested in working with me, send me an email and I can put you on the wait list. Now to the question. So this question is pretty straightforward, uh, which is good. I really love when you guys do this straightforward questions that are quite general and apply to a larger audience. I'm more like to pick those questions just because, you know, if it's too niche, niche, then it might not help the wider listeners. This question is very, very straightforward. Also good because we don't have that much time left. And the question is, is there long-term damage done from losing your period for a long time? And the answer is yes. And I also want to say that you don't necessarily need to lose your period for a very, very, very long time for it to happen. Losing your period, if you're someone who normally menstruates, it has a lot of harmful effects, especially on your bones and bone density. A common side effect is to develop osteopenia or osteoporosis. Osteopenia is basically pro no, pre-osteoporosis, right? So it's like the stage before full-blown osteoporosis. And these things basically means that your bone density is lowered. Let's use chocolate as a metaphor. You know, think of like normal chocolate that doesn't have any bubbles in it. It's just normal <laughs> dense chocolate, right? And then think of those like bubbly chocolates with like like Aero or Stratos if you're in Norway, like these bubbly chocolates. If you have osteoporosis, osteopenia, low bone density, your bones are a little bit more like those bubbly chocolates, right? They're just not that dense. If you have healthy bones, they're more like the non-bubbly chocolates, really like dense and strong. Period loss from an eating disorder, also known as hypothalamic amenorrhea, I know that was a complicated word, is very, very bad also for your hormones, right? It's not something that happens to everyone who menstruates and have an eating disorder. A lot of people can be very sick without experiencing this period loss. But if you do, it is something that needs to be sorted and needs to be sorted fast. Unfortunately, some doctors don't know about the fact that this is very dangerous. Uh, I went to the doctor when I had a period loss for was just under a year and my doctor completely brushed it off, right? And then thankfully, I started eating disorder treatment and the doctor at that clinic was like, okay, this is not normal, right? And she sent me to a bone density scan and after at that point, I haven't had my period for roughly a year. And that was enough for me to develop uh, osteopenia, which is pro-osteoporosis. Osteopenia is reversible, but osteoporosis, unfortunately, is not not reversible. So in my case, because it was not fully developed into osteoporosis yet, I was able to reverse it. I still don't know if my bone density is really good, <laughs> but it has normalized because I did a follow-up scan and things have gone in the right way. But you have to get your period back. And I am probably going to do another episode, which is just about periods in general. I also have done a recovery talk live on 
my letsrecover.co.uk account where I talk about periods and it's titled period problems. So do check that out for more information on like the key to get your period back and just a little bit about, you know, everything period related. But short answer is yes, it is a lot of adverse health consequences from not having your period. It's a serious issue that needs investigation. And the key to getting your period back, if you are someone who normally menstruates and lost your period from eating disorder, is weight restoration to a weight that is in your healthy weight range. BMI not necessarily matter that much because, you know, you can be at the clinically healthy BMI, but you might be under your set point weight range. The other one is increasing your general intake. And especially make sure you are getting enough fats and also carbohydrates. And last but not least, you need to rest. Yes, complete rest. I said it. (laughs) I said it. It is a key part of getting a period back. I see a lot of people who are, you know, within their healthy set point weight range and they're eating quite a lot, but they don't have the period back because they are still exercising. So you need full rest as well. That was it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review, share with a friend. And also, I really like when you guys share on your stories and tag me because then I can actually see it. Because if you don't tag me, I can't see it. (laughs) I love seeing, you know, you guys spreading the word and helping this podcast reach more people. Really help me as a creator and also hopefully help listeners as well. So thank you guys. And I'll see you guys next week.